Good morning. Good morning, people of the sea. Good morning to the people of the sky living on super dynamic dirigible Hindenburg type skyships. Hello. Good morning to the people on the moon living in tunnels. Good morning to the chickens outside laying their eggs. It's Thursday, December the 2nd, 2021 in the age and time of Boblimtok. Yes, the era of Boblimtok in the general, you know, holiday time of Grinken. And Grinken is so close, it's one of those fuzzy holidays. You don't know its real date until it's all over. But after Grinken time comes, you'll know. You'll feel the grizzle on your feet. Your teeth will be covered in viscera. Your eyes will be glazed over and jaundiced. You'll stare deeply into the void. And the void will look back at you, motherfucker. Yes, indeed. It is December the 2nd, 2021. I suppose you could say we're in the holiday season. Not sure which season we're in. Seems like the season of the witch. And with all due respect to Wiccans and witches out there, I'm probably referring to what, the dark witches? Because they're supposedly good ones, right? But we are in a dark, strange season of manipulation and lesser magic. We are in a dark season of military psychological warfare. We are in a dark season of trauma-based mind control and gaslighting and people being constantly told, you can open up, you gotta close down. You can open up, you gotta close down. You gotta put on a mask. No, you gotta take, you can take off one mask. You gotta put six on. You can take all your masks off if you want to. Just take three or four booster shots every 17 minutes. Yes, you'll get the blue screen. You'll be walking down the street one day and someone will look in your eyes and see the Microsoft swirly. They'll say, are you running Windows 11? But you won't be able to talk. Because the only thing glaring out of your fucking eye sockets is one word with a little ellipses constantly blinking, updating, 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 5% done on first package, updating, updating, 20% done on next package. 
That's all that your eyes read now that you've gotten the mighty super duper clot shot 17, right? That's what that fear op narrative tells you too, right? If you wanted to hide the effects of population-based um, adrenal fatigue that results from population-based psyops, if you wanted to hide it, a great way to hide it would, would be with the clot shot. The rhetoric of the clot shot, the rhetoric of the vaccine, these soccer players are dropping dead, these people in the stands are dropping dead. And I don't know if that's true or false, but I'll tell you, when you, expect, when you expose billions of people to psychological manipulation for almost two years, how can I phrase this? A lot of fucking people are going to kill themselves. A lot of fucking people are going to overdose. There are going to be lots of cancers and heart attacks. And yeah, motherfuckers are going to drop dead. But they don't want you to think about that. Damn, there's no such thing. You know who told you there's no such thing? The same Nazi scientists and doctors who brought you Medicare, the procedure schedule, the, prescri the prescribed list of shit that the lowest rung doctors who couldn't get a fucking job out of any university they came out of, who ended up working for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, these fuckers will d define for you all of the allowed procedures, all of the allowed diagnoses. And if it's not on their fucking list, guess what? It doesn't exist. When I talk about neo-Stalinism, that is also what I mean. Went a little crazy there. Went a little crazy. Yeah, this is a great season of manipulation, and people are being manipulated. How you want to read those tea leaves is up to you. I think any organization, I don't care if you want to call it the deep state or the shadow government, I don't care if you want to call it the breakaway civilization, if you want to go down that, I think, Jim Willie Road, you can talk about the seven or eight monkey dragon dynasties of the white Chinese, who the fuck knows what kind of crap he was talking about. You can pick whatever bullshit you want to, but it's hard for me to grok out what fucking use a planet of crazy people who are basically on the verge of exhaustion and death, what a planet of completely batshit crazy people are useful for. Other than entertainment.
And, and it is, it's very fucking entertaining to see people wear the mask and not wear the mask to do the Omnicron super hokey pokey. And then the funniest motherfuckers are the ones that say, well, Dan, COVID is kind of real. And if you take that horse dewormer or whatever, it'll clear you out. And I don't give a fuck if ivermectin is something they can prescribe or not prescribe. I just gave my rant on the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Did you listen? I don't give a fuck what you put in your body. That's your fucking business. And and guess what? That works with reciprocity. What I put in my body, as long as it doesn't harm you, is none of your fucking business. It really isn't. And it does not harm you to be exposed to reality. And in reality, people do get sick and die. And you should accept the possibility that you're being lied to, but you'd much rather believe the COVID is kind of real. Dan, it's not that bad. It's a small percentage of people. It more or less matches the population model for death, for mortality. But ignore that fact. Ignore that governments told us that the flu disappeared. Ignore all that. Ignore the fact that hospitals kill people. They get sued for malpractice because people go into their hospitals for a minor surgery and then they die from MRSA or some horrible fungal infection or E. coli or any number of other random viral or single-celled parasitic organism bullshit that you'll find in a modern shitty hospital. And yeah, a lot of them are really gross and shitty. For all the bleach and all the, you know, foreign laborers they have dressed in smocks, moving mops around, what they're really doing is smearing around some of the toughest, brightest, most amazing microorganisms in human fucking history. You could not invent a better bioweapons lab than a modern fucking hospital. You couldn't. There is no bioweapons lab in Wuhan, none that they have at whatever place the army does their USAMRID bullshit. I don't give a fuck any longer. There is no better bioweapons lab for evolving dangerous bacteria, especially, and probably fungal. No better lab than a hospital, the way they're designed. They are death hotels. But a lot of people would rather believe in the COVID monkey herpes bullshit than do a little bit of effort to dig a little deeper. I know it's hard to dig deeper, but to just dig a little deeper. But it's scary, isn't it, to dig a little deeper? I didn't really want to rant on the monkey herpes, but it's Christmas season, right? I was hunting the triptych birds down where the old women wail. I was hunting the triptych birds down where the old women wail. I gave way to a new dawn, then found myself wanting before the throng. I moved on past the river of dreams. I found a stream filled with trout. I sat down by that stream and I drank from the waters of tomorrow. I saw the sky demons. I saw the castles of diamonds and pain. I saw the copper warlords beating each other to death over copper tubing. I saw the diamond kings. I saw the silver barons 
I saw the masters, the masters of steampunk. I was hunting the triptych birds down where the old women wail. I gave way to a new dawn, then found myself wanting before the throng. I went past the old stream. I found the wild horses on the plateau. I picked a horse and I called it Fred. And then I grabbed that horse by its scruffy neck and head. I wrestled it into submission. I wrestled it under control. I got on back that horse, bareback riding. And we rode, we rode, Fred and I, across the desert plateau. We made it to the high hills of the Uinta Mountains, where the ancient Eskimo lords ruled over all the volcanoes. We met the Hawk Angel. The Hawk Angel gave us some shrooms. We took those shrooms, me and my, my horse named Fred. I was hunting the triptych birds down where the old women wail, down where the old crones scream and they scream, why did you do this to me? Why, universe, did you punish me with the hammer of fate, you fuck? I hunted those birds down to where the old crones scream out the dirty words of the ancient people. They know how to say fuck you in Sumerian. They'd scream and yell and gnash their teeth. They would take the bones of their victims and they would etch out signs and symbols, descriptions on the wall of their own lost sickness. I went down there. I had a drink. I drank their vodka swill. And I gave way to that new dawn, the dawn of sunny shininess, the shininess that Fred, your horse, can find on the plateau of fate. But in the end, I found myself wanting before that demonic throng. I would not wear the bear coat. I would not hunt the Jingus freak. I would not chase down the nightmares. I would not hunt the weasel ghost. I would not live in the caves. I would not become a river man. I was hunting the triptych birds down where the old women wail. I gave way to a new dawn then found myself wanting before the throng.
Next topic. You know, I was a, a kid, more or less, and a teenager in the 1980s. Um, I was a little kid in the 70s, but I became a teenager in the 1980s. I remember the election of 1980 before, you know, between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. And it was one of those moments in American history where revisionism and fantasy and propaganda, all of that was boiling up with a lot of pain. Not really like today, because I would say probably today for a lot of people, especially people that grew up in rural America back then, today seems about 10 billion times worse. But back then it was basically a lot of denial, a lot of anger, a lot of post-Vietnam bargaining, and then came Ronald Reagan. And his name should have been Reagan, you know, R-A-Y-G-U-N, because that's really what he seemed like. He was the President Reagan. He was the president of energy beams and death rays. He was the president of Tesla power. Ronald Reagan. That's a pretty cool superhero name. But was he one? When you're a kid, you're impressionable. I, I, I went to school in a Catholic school, Immaculate Conception, Mount Vernon, Washington. And I, I was a little Catholic schoolboy back in 1980. And by the time 1983-84 rolls around, I'm starting high school. And one of the things I did in high school, because I didn't know what else to do, I, I really didn't get much out of public school in terms of guidance. I don't give a fuck. Just to say that, you know, if you're going to talk about mentoring, you should actually do it, but it never happened. And But one of the things I ended up doing, because I had no better ideas, is I participated in public speaking and debate. And um, I would have to research the current events, you know. You'd read Newsweek, you'd read Slime, you know, Newsleak and, and Slime, Time and Newsweek. You'd read, you know, what was it? The National, not the National Enquirer, although you should read that too. No, you'd read The Economist, and you'd read The Wall Street Journal, and you'd read The New York Times, and you'd read The Economist, and you'd read Foreign Affairs, and you would be all up to date on what the people who should have proper control of all the nuclear weapons are thinking. And back in the early 80s, right around 82, 83, prior to the second election um, that, you know, Ronald Reagan won, prior to the 84 election, there was a lot of hullabaloo in a particular magazine I was reading, which was Discover Magazine, which in retrospect was a really shitty magazine, but I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So I read this Discover Magazine, which was ostensibly, supposedly some type of a science journal. Yeah. But they started putting stuff on their front pages about something called SDI the Strategic Defense Initiative. And it started popping up on Popular Science Magazine and Popular Mechanics and probably, you know, Air and Space, you know, Weekly and all the other journals of the deep state that produce garbage so you can consume it. By 84, you had a lot of articles about SDI. And then it got jokingly called Star Wars, you know, Star Wars like Luke Skywalker bullshit and Death Stars. Well, here's what we probably know. 
because no one will ever admit it. It's kind of like the Israelis having nuclear weapons. We know they have nuclear weapons. We know they have the hydrogen bomb. We know they have a lot of hydrogen bombs, given the size of their country. Um, they have a lot of nuclear weapons, but no one ever talks about it. We all pretend it's not a thing. Well, I don't, but people in the U.S. government, the State Department, all the apparatchniks, the people that live in the donut around Washington, D.C., all the Jews for Jesus freaks, all these motherfuckers, they basically know that the Israelis have nuclear weapons, that they are in violation of several treaties that govern the expansion of nuclear powers, just like Pakistan, just like North Korea. Except for we, you know, we highlight, you know, Pakistan, India, North Korea as these various powers, you know, that violated the proliferation treaties. So we, but we never talk about Israel and their nuclear weapons. It's kind of funny. It's one of those pretend games we play. Um, yeah, back in the early 80s, mid 80s, there was a program called the Strategic, De Strategic Defense Initiative. And the goal of the program was to build a missile shield. So if the enemy, the Soviet Union, which was really the enemy at the time, because we were already in a kind of warming relationship with communist China, you may not know this, but it was the Nixon administration that opened the door to China. So if you want to understand where the modern China story starts as far as the U.S. economy goes, it starts with Kissinger, it starts with Nixon, it starts in the early 70s. By the time you get to the early 80s, you already have, you know, garbage crap made in communist China being shipped over here. You already have the beginnings of what would be called globalism. It really wouldn't take off until the Cold War officially ended, but it was already starting. So China was kind of an ally, I guess you could say, given the Sino-Soviet split, given the fact that the Chinese and the Soviets hated each other um, more... I mean, the Chinese hated the Russians at the time more than they hated us. That's the easiest way to say it. And we were all doing the whole trilateral realpolitik Kissinger bullshit. So all we wanted to do was to find some enemy to pivot off of. An enemy of my enemy is a frenemy. That's the Kissinger saying. The Strategic Defense Initiative was designed primarily, or, or the claim was in the early 80s, to protect us against the Soviet Union, against a missile strike. And at the time, the, the rough estimate was between, worst case, as, as, as short as 10 minutes or less, because if you have a, a Soviet submarine off your coast, and it's stealthy enough to stay hidden, and it can launch a missile to, you know, let's say, target Washington, D.C., that sub-launched Soviet missile would probably take, eh, you know, six, seven minutes, right? Maybe longer, maybe 10 minutes. But the, but the best case scenario with a sub-launched sneak attack is about 10 minutes. Well, actually, the worst case at the time was thought to be 10 minutes. The best case was 20 to 30 minutes um, to detect ICBMs, and potentially several hours. If they do it in stages, you know, I think it was Herman Kahn, and I think he was working for, I want to say the RAND Corporation, because they're a pretty deep state sleazy outfit. But I think it was Herman Kahn 
who wrote the book on thermonuclear war. And at the time, the general strategic feeling was, in addition to mutually assured destruction, is that everybody would probably creep towards full-scale nuclear war. So it was unlikely that you would have one of these massive sneak attacks. The general theory was nuclear war would start out with, you know, tactical nukes on the battlefield, and then it would escalate. And the process of escalation, according to Khan, goes through stages, and it's not like you go directly to the end of the board of the game. You have to go across all the squares. That was the general thinking. So when Strategic Defense Initiative was conceived, it was conceived to defend us in a worst case against a sneak attack, but the generally held opinion is that there would be stages, there would be some type of conventional engagement, we would have hours, if not days, to pull our military to full alert, so by the time any nuclear exchange began, we'd all be ready, blah, blah, blah. And that's nice, wishful thinking, but that was the wishful thinking in 1983-84. And I've discussed this topic before in another context, but um, I don't want to belabor it, the World War III topic. Strategic Defense Initiative was comprised of several basic parts. One of the parts was the brain. They needed to build a supercomputer that could manage the targeting and destruction of hundreds, if not thousands, of inbound nuclear warheads. And that may sound like an easy thing to do, but in 1983-84, they didn't really have a good way to do that. And most of the guys, the engineers at the time, scientists said, we were 30 years away. And in truth, they were probably right. It probably wasn't until about 10 or 12 years ago that we began to have the computing technology, that it got to the level where you could, in fact, build a system like that. So their estimate was about right, about 30 years. So one portion is the big brain. Another portion of SDI is detection. You have to detect the missiles. You can't attack something you cannot detect. So another portion of SDI was building a sensor array. And arguably, this might be the only portion of SDI that was ever really built. This, this sensor array of satellites and radars and airborne radar systems, these, this connected, fully connected sensor network had to be integrated, had to be connected in such a way that Air Force systems and Navy systems and Army systems and Marine systems and all the systems that have access to radar and detection, that they'd all be integrated. This was not an easy problem to solve, but of the three problems, this was the easiest to solve at the time. So probably they did take a lot of SDI money and do some real shit, which in, in reality turned out to be, you know, espionage and electronic monitoring. But it was great to have the budget, right? So you got the, the big brain and you have the big eyeball. But now you need the big dick. <laughs> no, you need weapons, right? And there were several weapons developed conceptually during SDI. One of the weapons was the railgun. Now understand this. At the time, the railgun people were saying, we've got them, we can build them, we can build them right now. Understand that only recently has China 
claimed that they have a battlefield-ready railgun, only recently has the U.S. DOD claimed that the Navy has one in development. But even today, the energy requirements of these systems are so huge that you more or less have to shut down the other systems on board a ship in order to fire the gun. So when they said back in 83, 84, we got rail guns, we can use rail guns, that was a fib. They claimed that they could fire these smart pucks, these smart pellets, these smart projectiles out of the rail guns. These smart projectiles would be accelerated to you know, maybe one one-thousandth the speed of light by these giant orbital rail guns, and then they would just, you know, these brilliant pebbles and brilliant pellets would just take out ICBMs. That was another, you know, that was a lie. They weren't anywhere near being able to do that. So one of the weapon systems they claimed they could do to defeat the Soviets, and they amped it up, the rail gun, was a real thing, but it was decades away from being ready. They claimed they could use particle beam guns, that they could put particle beam guns in space. And this is technically true. In fact, in space, in the vacuum of space, a particle beam gun would be relatively effective. In any type of thick atmosphere or, or gas, the gas itself will interact with the stream of particles. So if you wanted to make a particle beam most efficient, and this actually applies to almost any kind of weapon system, it's probably most efficient in the ideal environment of the vacuum of space. And so, yeah, if you could airlift giant particle beam accelerators to like, I don't know, 150 miles up, then perhaps that idea works. Perhaps you can, in fact, do that. But I don't know, buddy. That was also another fib. Another one of the weapons systems, which I think everyone knows about, is the laser. And there were many kinds of lasers they were working on. One of the types of lasers was, I think, called the hydrogen fluoride laser. And I think a variant of it is actually being developed for the battlefields of today. And the hydrogen fluoride laser is a chemical reaction laser. Um, they also were, were dealing with the issue of thermal blooming. Now, what is thermal blooming? Well, you know the thing I said about efficiency and vacuums? It turns out if you have a really powerful laser and you fire it through the atmosphere, you run the risk of exploding the atmosphere and blocking the beam. And this is not so great. You also run the risk of simply exploding the laser because you're basically delivering to the atmosphere a level of energy in a concentrated form that is essentially going to generate a plasma, it's going to generate effects, and it will in fact block itself. This is called thermal blooming, and it's, and it's bad. It's BAD bad. In recent years, like in the last decade, they've more or less solved that problem focusing on lensing, focusing on not just generating a massive amount of laser power, but also focusing on the issue of how do you manage that energy in an atmosphere if you're not in a vacuum. If you're in a vacuum, there's no issue. You can fire that powerful laser and it will perform in an incredibly efficient way. But if you're in atmosphere, that laser is going to interact with the gases in the atmosphere and that's going to cause problems. But they've solved most of them in the last decade. They didn't have a solution in 1983. They didn't have a solution in 1993. They were getting close. The estimate of 30 years that a lot of people, a lot of the critics of SDI said, this might be possible 
30 years from now. That was the common refrain amongst the critics. And frankly, I think the critics are there for a psyop purpose too. It's an it's part of the Overton window. It's part of controlling the discourse. But the critics, the allowed critics of 1983-84, generally said the same thing. Even if this was possible, it's 30 years from now. And they were pretty, pretty much correct. Now, what we later learned from various spooks and various deep state thugs and various scum from the DOD complex, what we later learned is that all of these lasers, all of these weapons, all of these sensors, all of these supercomputers, they knew that they all wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it for decades. They would not be ready for decades. But what they wanted to do was convince the Soviets they could. And if the United States can't build it, there's one thing I'll tell you we can do. We can bullshit our way through it. You know, what, what um, the research triangle can't do and what MIT can't do, and what all of these advanced research organizations can't do, Hollywood can do. Hollywood can convince people that we can put giant orbital lasers up in space in 1983. I know we can do this today, I mean, assuming the rest of that cosmology is true, but we probably could not do it in 83. And the general mythology is, it goes like this. The Soviets believed we could. You know, the, the Hollywood PSYOP bullshit worked. They spent too much money and they bankrupted themselves in an arms race they could never win. That's the mythology. I think there's more to it than that. Um, there's, there's every reason to believe the Soviet Union was pretty near collapse uh, in the early 80s. And about the only thing holding it together was the Cold War. If you took away the Cold War, the Soviet government would have just, yeah, it would have disintegrated. Um, and it's probably why, you know, a little bit of a tangent, it's probably why Emperor Z, Z, I don't care how to pronounce his name, it's probably why the guy in charge in the People's Republic of China right now is getting, you know, a bit more bellicose and doing more of that imperial bullshit. Because when all else fails, you look for foreign enemies. You look for someone to blame, someone to attack. It's a great way to keep people going for that last mile. But the key thing is the last mile comes and goes. The Soviets were not um, in some idealistic state of total dedication in the 80s. They were a nation of alcoholics and burnouts, kind of like the United States today a nation of drug addicts and addled freaks. And by the way, if you're on one of the seven or eight standard concoctions from Big Pharma, I'm including you, motherfucker. Even though you might be a dumb fuck. Yeah, they were brain-addled freaks too. They were drugged out in their own special Russian way. They were drunk on the coolant from the jet engine. Okay, they were not ready to take over the world. They were not quoting Trotsky. They were done. Now, the mythology is Star Wars pushed them over the edge. I'm going to tell you, I think maybe Star Wars served another purpose. I'm not saying the goal wasn't to, you know, to convince the Soviets we were capable of impossible bullshit. I think that might have been the goal, and who knows? The Soviet leadership was probably drunk enough and depressed enough they probably believed it. 
But I think Star Wars and the SDI was about more. Let's talk about another guy really quick, Edward fucking Teller. Edward Teller was a core feature in SDI. Um, he's famous for, you know, being the United States scientist that invented the hydrogen bomb. And I suppose he'd convince you that he invented the hydrogen bomb, period. And, you know, he had a pretty big ego, so I'm sure people sensed that, but maybe many believed. Um, Edward Teller was the United States nuclear scientist that gave us the H-bomb in the early 50s. And by the time you get to the 80s, he's getting really old. He's done all of his Dr. Strangelove type experiments to include supporting the use of tactical nuclear weapons to frack for natural gas. That was a great idea. By the time you get to SDI, he was perfect. He was the perfect guy, the perfect elderly gentleman. He looks so much like your grandpa. He just he's so he's such a he's just a nice old man. And so you take the nice old man Edward Teller and you put him, you know, you kind of put him sort of in charge of the whole thing. I mean, I don't think he actually was in charge of anything but a show. But, you know, he he had his last years. And his big dream was the X-ray laser. The X-ray laser. Now, I know that you've heard me mention the concept of a gamma-ray laser. And to my knowledge, as of today, there still is not a workable version of either one, certainly not as a weapon system. There might be some laboratory model of a gamma-ray laser or a X-ray laser, but that's probably unlikely. Teller claimed he could build an X-ray laser, and, and listen, you know what? Old engineers that love their screwdriver, they only see screws. And he claimed he could do it, but he had to do it with a nuclear weapon. He had this idea of using a nuclear explosion to pump some type of crystalline, um, probably crystalline lead or cobalt some type of very special crystalline structured lead co cobalt alloy alloy potentially the small tactic tactical nuke would go off it would basically be you know designed to shield against most of the radiation except for gamma ray and so a directed gamma ray burst from the small nuke would charge the waveguides these crystalline lead waveguides you know creating light amplification by stimulated emission of what the fuck. And then out comes the X-ray laser. They can fire it up your butt. They can seal you up for good. They'd fire it right up your butthole. And, you know, the nuke going off won't help either. The idea behind Edward Teller's X-ray laser, one version of it was basically kind of like a nuclear weapon mounted on a missile, you would launch these into space during an attack. They'd be a single-use weapon because once you fired it, once you fired that X-ray laser, the nuclear weapon being used to charge it would destroy the laser. So basically, it's kind of like one of these fourth-generation nuclear weapons designed to direct and designed to control the types of radiation released. Again, these are all top secret Q clearance bullshit, so I'm sure that nobody knows, but it would fall in the category of the fourth or fifth generation nuclear weapon. And, you know, again, this is something that Edward Teller claimed he could do, and to my knowledge, he never pulled it off. Um, 
there was never an example of him using a small tactical nuke to generate a coherent beam of X-ray radiation, and that would be an X-ray laser. I don't want to spend the whole um, podcast just talking about SDI, but what I do want to say is this before we move on. The Strategic Defense Initiative probably was one of the most successful military psychological warfare operations in American history. It's not the only one, and it might not be number one, but if you made a list, a top 10 list of PSYOPs that the U.S. government has sponsored, SDI is one of the best. For several years, the U.S. government convinced a lot of Americans. In fact, you could argue that the U.S. government as a technocratic superpower started in many ways with SDI because we convinced a lot of Americans, they did, they convinced a lot of Americans that they could do all kinds of magical bullshit. And it was Ronald Reagan, and you know you can trust him. If you ask me, I think SDI as a PSYOP was directed against the American people. I think the CIA knew all this stuff where they claim they didn't see it coming, the Berlin Wall, that's a lot of fucking hokey bullshit. I think the CIA was well aware that by the time you got to 1983, the Soviet Union was on the verge of collapse. And maybe some of them thought, well, during collapse, that's when they're going to trigger World War III. And who knows, maybe. But the fact is, they were close to falling apart. And about the only thing that seemed to unify any fragment of the system in the Soviet Union was this notion that the United States would destroy them. And in retrospect, that paranoia might have been the only true thing those fucking Marxists believed. Because in retrospect, it probably was our goal to swallow up Russia. We just weren't ready yet. You see, I think what the CIA wanted was a collapse of the Soviet Union, not in 1989 through 91, but perhaps sometime in the early aughts. You know, sometime maybe between 2000 and 2010. I think in some ways that's what they were hoping. They hoped that there was just enough juice to get them over the bump. Then they could switch over to, you know, let's take Russia's oil. But I don't know. I'm not CIA. I don't, I'm not privy to their bullshit. But I, I think that you could make an argument. Um, you could make an argument. You could make a reasonable fucking argument, I believe, that that was the basic idea. I think the Soviet Union, for the CIA, I think they wanted that collapse to happen later. And I think that's what, what, what was really going on. It wasn't so much they didn't see it coming. It was more of they just didn't want it to happen when it happened. Um, bad timing, you might say. Who knows? I mean, people look at this in different ways. You know, some people will look at the first Gulf War and they'll say to themselves, that's a sign of American strength, American resurgent strength, the empire, blah, blah, blah. I look at the first Gulf War and I say, in many ways... That's one of the first big cracks in the American empire. Understand, the American empire worked for a long time through bribery, okay? People took our money. They simply took our money, and that was enough. By the time you get to the early 90s, you already have 
foreign governments asking this question, why do I sell oil using dollars? Why can't I settle using some other kind of currency? It's a simple fucking question, but once you start asking that question, you start to realize how much of a gimmick, how much of a grift the petrodollar is. It is. It's a grift. It's a, it's a really cool grift. It's a way to make money without doing one fucking thing, but it's a grift, making people use dollars to buy oil. Because where do those dollars come from? Well, they get magicked out of existence, baby. They just come from nowhere. No, I know that the SDI crap was probably part of the Cold War strategy focused at the Soviet Union. It was a PSYOP focused at the Soviets, but I also think it was a PSYOP focused at Americans. They needed to tell Americans, look at this powerful shit. How can you even think you can ever fight back? How can you believe in your dignity and your freedom when we can have, you know, we, we can fire x-ray lasers out of our buttholes, baby? When we got satellites that can read your license plate and watch you while you sleep. When we have some super duper computer that can plot all those missiles and knock them out of the sky, what can you do, Mr. and Mrs. America? Nothing. Next topic, and I'm going to read an article from Zero Hedge, though probably that one might not make any sense given things, but this one comes from Zero Hedge. Let's wait for it to open up. Wow. I just sometimes wonder, man, sometimes wonder about all of this. It's like... People say the computers, man. So here's an article from Zero Hedge, and actually it was written by Jonathan Turley. So it probably comes from his site. I think he's the Justice League, Justice Watch, Judicial Watch guy. He's he's the leader of the Justice League, like Superman. <laughs> Headline the gun did it? Baldwin denies pulling the trigger in fatal rush shooting. Once again, this is published to Zero Hedge on Thursday, December the 2nd, 2021. The author is Jonathan Turley. And I read on. Recently, I noted the curious scene of actor... Alec Baldwin insisting with reporters that he has been given clear legal instructions not to discuss the shooting of Halia Hutchins at the set of the movie, the movie Rust, and then make detailed statements about the shooting. Now with an ongoing criminal investigation, yeah, now, with an ongoing criminal investigation and various civil lawsuits expected to be filed, Baldwin has given a detailed statement to ABC News' George Stephanopoulos, including a surprising claim that he never pointed a gun or pulled the trigger. That interview may be one of the most watched scenes 
particularly, 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 particularly if he is charged criminally or sued civilly. In the interview, Baldwin clearly, express, clearly and expressly denies ever pulling the trigger or even pointing the gun at Hutchins. And I quote, The trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. I would never point a gun at someone and pull the trigger on them, never. That is a bold statement to be sure. And it looks, and it locks in, excuse me, it locks in Baldwin's defense for better or worse. It would seem he will be arguing that the gun discharged on its own. As an antique Colt 45, it may be argued that the weapon discharged without the conscious pulling of the trigger. That would make the gun defective. Baldwin also added, and I quote, someone put a bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. As noted earlier, the problem is that Baldwin was not just an actor, but a producer on the set. He was arguably responsible for the set itself and the props. Oh. What is most striking about the new claim is that it is, subject, it is subject to physical testing and even a demonstrative exhibit before the jury. If experts report that the gun did not have a hair trigger or some defect, it would greatly erode Baldwin's credibility. It is very unlikely that his counsel has had access to the gun or even any film evidence from the scene. Notably, however, they do have the statement of, the, of an assistant director that he thought the shooting was a misfire. Moreover, I am surprised that Baldwin claims that he would never point even a prop gun at someone and pull the trigger, given his many shooting scenes that would be dis that would that would be disprovable. <laughs> this is not a well written article, um, Mr. Turley, but you get on zero heads, don't you? The defense certainly could argue that, as an actor, Baldwin is unfamiliar with guns and did not and I quote, mean to pull the trigger. However, this interview locks him into an absolute denial of pointing the gun and pulling the trigger. That is a considerable risk when the investigation is not complete and Baldwin's counsel does not know what the forensic and eyewitness testimony will say. Baldwin has also called for police officers to be assigned to movie sets to control the use of prop guns, a remarkably dim proposal. Police departments are not designed to be prop managers for Hollywood. Baldwin's worlds, cinematic and actual, appear to, appear to be merging in the scandal. In The Hunt for Red October, Baldwin, as Jack Ryan, objected, I don't react well to bullets. This is not a particularly good reaction to the investigation into this shooting. The police have not issued a report on how this bullet found its way to the site or how it was discharged. Pending the release of such evidence, Baldwin's decision to give an interview on the details of the incident was highly ill-advised. This article was written by Jonathan Turley, 
probably to his own website as a blog entry, and it was republished by Zero Hedge. Anywho, um, I read that article really for one reason and one reason only. Um, the main reason I read that article was basically to have this conversation. In my last podcast, I talked about learned helplessness. And what I find amazing about this entire Alec Baldwin situation is that if he ever goes to trial, and I don't think he will, I don't think there's enough time left in the game for bullshit like that, but pretend that this monkey herpes race war trauma Trump drama nonsense can continue, that the hypersonic missile gap crisis can continue to be foisted, that this spinning plate nightmare keeps moving on with, you know, good old Jerome Powell whipping us along. Assume that's true. If this ever did go to trial, um, I would definitely do a jury trial. And here's why. I believe that the United States government and public schools have successfully indoctrinated a lot of people in learned helplessness as a core philosophy. It is a corollary to obedience. The other side of obedience is helplessness. It is something we should understand. It's kind of how slavery works. Yeah, 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 you know, they have to feed you and they have to keep you alive. But as a slave, you also need to know that you can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. Guns, what's a gun? Is a gun a metal thingy? Ooh, it's scary. It's got scary bullets. It shoots a scary thing. It draws blood. Hey, fucker. Is that your new Tesla? Is that your brand new Tesla? You're gonna go out drinking. You'll put it in autopilot, baby. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of these anti-gun morons who understand what learned helplessness is from education on a deep level, a lot of these idiots will also drive cars. And what you need to understand about driving a car is that all things being equal, that car is way more dangerous than any one pistol you could buy. You could kill more people, you could do more damage. If you have any creativity, you could do a lot of damage with your fucking car. People are killed by the thousands every single year in the United States by people driving cars. Way more than the number of people killed by legal gun owners. I said legal gun owners because a lot of you guys are rule of law freaks, so I'm going to play your fucking game. So yeah, there are people who get all scary about the gun, and then you get them into that situation with their car, and they start to go amok. It is a lot like Robbie the Robot in Forbidden Planet. You can see the relays fusing out. They can't quite correlate the two ideas. They're scared of the scary, scary gun, but then they're going to get into their car and go out maybe even drinking, and perhaps even, you know, kill a few people, who knows, but God forbid you know how a gun works. God forbid you take any responsibility. It just kind of went off, right, Alec? Just went off. Just accidentally went off. And shit does happen. But this is why I say he. I think he's going to win. I don't think he's in any trouble at all. He's got an insurance company. If he's a producer, I'm assuming the set was insured. He has an insurance company to cover the liability as far as, you know, indemnity goes. And as far as the legal case goes... I don't think there is a case, in part for the functional reason that 
every single juror probably would buy into the learned helplessness argument. People are at the point now, especially city folk, where even though it's irrational, especially when you think about cars, even though it's crazy, even though, you know, I, I got to tell you, as I get deeper into this archery stuff, I think people underestimate how dangerous a bow and arrow would be, especially with a crowd of Antifa. But, um, yeah, people are scared of the scary, scary gun. You put a jury from an average city, any kind of fancy-schmancy average city, any group of city dwellers, you put them in the jury room, and you say, that gun, it, it went crazy. It started talking about the state of Israel. It started talking about Alex Jones. And then it just went off. That gun went crazy. That gun went mad. That gun attained consciousness. That gun attained awareness and metacognition. That gun loaded itself with whiskey and rye. That gun loaded itself with 45 ACP. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that any longer. I feel like I've killed a dead horse talking about SDI and Alec Baldwin. But I consider it to be an absurdity. I don't think there's time left in the game. I don't think there's so much time left in what we call American civic society that he'll ever end up going to trial. I think his lawyers will do a good job of keeping this thing shuffling into the future and if it's still a thing a year from now, if things like this are still a thing, I kind of think you're going to be struggling to keep yourself alive if you're still alive. But let's say this is still a thing. I think the juries will go for it. The gun did it. People are people. Listen, these are juries of people that put on masks, maybe two masks. These are juries of people that might have taken one or two vaccines, and they've certainly gone through the guilt-tripping process. These are people who will say, well, I think the COVID is kind of real. You know, they'll, they'll bargain their way into every corner. And so all Alec Baldwin or his lawyer needs to say is, look, this 45, it was made in 1911? Ain't nothing back then's going to work so good. This 45 has had problems. You want to hear some of the reports from World War One? And guess what? This 45 is racist. Yep, the 45 is racist. Do you know why it was built? To deal with Filipinos. That's right. The 45 Colt 45 semi-automatic pistol was designed post the, the Spanish-American War and specifically post the Filipino insurrection. Another one of those little things that they don't talk about in history class for reasons that are pretty fucking obvious. But needless to say, during the Philippine insurrection, a lot of the insurrectionists took drugs 
you know, natural drugs that they had. They they did all kinds of crazy witchcraft bullshit. They scared the fuck out of U.S. Marines and infantry and people there. And, you know, we had the 38, the 38 revolver, but the caliber was too small and the velocity was too fast. They would shoot these 38s through these Filipinos and they figured, you know what? If you really want to kill a fucking Filipino madman who's drugged out on whatever jungle meth they could cook up with the shaman, what you need is a bigger round that goes a little slower, that distributes all of its kinetic energy like a Mike Tyson punch right to the stomach, and yeah, also tears up the flesh and wounds you to death. That is, more or less, a racist version of why they invented the Colt 45. The Colt 45 was designed to throw a large caliber round, okay, with a relatively good rate of fire. I think it holds eight rounds, maybe ten, but I think it holds eight. And you can have one in the tube, that would be nine. I don't own a Colt 45, so I can't tell you. But I can tell you it was designed in part based upon this experience. So one of the arguments that, and I, I think I'm helping Alec Baldwin's defense here, one of the arguments that Alec Baldwin can make, especially if the person killed is in any of the category of protected peoples, one of the potential arguments is that the Colt 45 is racist, that the racist spirits of the Colt 45 came to fore. I believe it was designed by John Browning, right? Well, he was probably racist, too. If you, if you dig deep enough, everybody's racist, right? And that's how Alec Baldwin wins. That's how his lawyer wins. He tells the racist story of the Colt 45 and how it's crap and how it's a hair trigger and how it gets drunk late at night and goes on weird 4chan sites and threatens people like Adolf Hitler. That 1945 Colt was out of control. And everybody knew it, but Alec, being a kind-hearted person, he didn't want to toss that Colt 45 to the side. He didn't want to throw it away. He said, little, little, little man, little tube, we care about you. And that was the mistake Alec made, befriending that racist old 1911 Colt 45 motherfucker. And then the night before the shooting... The Colt 45 was out late all night. He was hanging out with local skinheads, talking about black and brown people. Then the Colt 45 said, It said it's time for the pure blood revolvers, for the pure blood automatics, for the pure blood semis, time to come out of your caves. It's Helter Skelter. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to beat the dead horse of Alec Baldwin either. But I find the defense to be absurd and also basically brilliant. I expected Alec Baldwin to jump the shark to exactly where he's at, but I expected it to happen closer to the trial. In fact, doing it right now is smart. Here's the deal, folks. Everything fails. Nothing works or lasts forever. You can be the most conscientious gun owner, but after you fire so many rounds, eventually parts of that gun will fail. It isn't some conspiracy. Nobody hates you. It's simply reality. 
So if Alec Baldwin wanted to make the argument that his gun failed, which I think is a fair argument, this shit happens, and he can prove it, then that's the whole story and it's over. That's the whole story. How that gun ended up with a live round, that's its own stupid special question. I can't answer that question. I think that is quite weird that that gun ended up with a live round. But if you ignore the live round, guns malfunction. It does happen. I mean, look at Vice President, oh my God, Vice President Cheney. That piece of shit killed a man, probably on purpose, but he got out of it with some sort of gun defect, accidental gun going off. Fuck, Alec, you get your lawyer to call up Cheney's lawyer. I'm sure there's some hokey precedent they set in fucking Wyoming or someplace about accidentally killing people with shotguns, and you can apply it. Because shotguns are probably racist too. They're probably related to slavery. And, you know, having, you know, all those buckshots, you can chase down the slaves and hunt them easier, right? When you're a drunk redneck. Next topic. So in a previous podcast, like I think the one I did last night, we talked about that story of the Australian teenagers escaping from a COVID camp in Australia. And as I said, I think this might be PSYOP bullshit. I don't know that it's true. I have no way to verify this story. I know that stories like this scare people and immobilize them and, and, and traps people. It, it keeps them in the game. It keeps people working like good little workers on the Death Star because, hey, well, at least that's not happening here. At least in good old America, we don't have those camps yet. Let's make sure we listen to Alex Jones tonight so we don't have the camps. But what I'm saying is maybe that's a bullshit story. I don't know. Yep. The story of escapees from prisons. But again, you know, I think it's a story, but... I was talking in that previous podcast about a good name or title for the series or the movie. And I think I've come up with a good name for the movie that could lead to a Netflix series. The name of the movie is Covicted. Yep. The movie Covicted, not yet rated, comes out in 2023, Boblim Doc. Yes, it's, it's in the style of Roger Corman. Covicted is the story of a half a dozen maybe a dozen, let's say a baker's dozen, how about ten Australian-style busty stripper hookers? And the matron, the matriarchal leader of the stripper clan, is a 40-something, very beautiful, large-breasted African-American woman named Bronnie Chestnut. She's a She's a hustler and a thief and a scammer. She's a grifter and a lover. She's an adventurer. She's a master of swords, a master of shuriken. She has incredibly muscular thighs. Brawny chestnut. And of course, this group of Australian stripper hookers would be the whole demographic. You have the Asians, and you have, you know, probably some random Italian with an Aussie accent. You probably have some German hooker, probably somebody from South America. 
you're going to need somebody from an indigenous region of Australia to be representative to add things up. You're going to have a, at least one ginger. And that ginger is going to be sexy as fuck. That ginger will be, yeah, they'll call her red. I know that's not original, but who cares, right? Brawny chestnut and red. All the little Asian hookers. Wearing a t-shirt. Wearing underwear. In a COVID-style, you know, jungle prison hell. Covicted. Yes, Covicted will be a great film. I, I doubt that any A-list actors, actresses will join. I'm thinking there's got to be a lot of B and C level and porno actresses who want to make it big and legitimate film, quote-unquote. Because, of course, this will be softcore. Of course, this will be sexploitation. This isn't going to be X-rated. You won't see the penis. You won't see the vagina. Not in Covicted. But it'll all be implied, and you will see naked women in showers massaging their boobies with soapy suds. All of this is necessary to deal with the pandemic. Yes, you'll see brawny chestnut. You'll see red with her large ginger boobies. You'll see them wrestling like two lesbian lovers connected to each other in their bluvial realm. <laughs> yes, indeed. And of course, you know, you're still going to have some evildoer nurse. I said Helga Extreme probably should be a, a Danish person. In fact, there should be a Danish man and a Danish woman in charge of this monkey herpes COVID um, jungle rape camp in Australia for people that test positive for the Omnicron 1617. And yeah, the Danish woman will be a kind of a, you know, a dominatrix type. She'll, she'll have a whipping chamber and a chamber of water torture, the chamber of engudulation, the, cha the chamber of steam cleansing and and oily wrestling. Yes, these Danes are really great. And then, you know, the, the movie probably ends with, you know, a lot like Women in Cages, and I'll tip my hat to that great formula. The movie probably ends with some type of revenge spree where the crazy women under, you know, brawny chestnut decide to take sexy revenge on the Danish, you know, let's say it's Gunter and Helgris. Gunter and Helgris Gromp. They're the ones in charge from the United Nations. They're the ones in charge of the sexy COVID monkey herpes jungle rape camp. Yeah. That's the movie, Covicted, coming out in 2023. And you know what? If the acting is shit, if the plot is basically as sophisticated as I just said... That film's going to make a lot of money. 
because the formula of soapy boobies has been making money in Hollywood for many, many decades now. And you never lose out by sticking women in a prison. Yes, look at Orange is the New Black. That's kind of exploitive, they'll admit it. There's something special about women in a jungle prison where they only get to wear underwear and a really ratty shirt and maybe some Crocs if they've been nice. Covicted. Coming out in 2023, just in time for Christmas. Next topic. Oh, so I don't want to get into, you know, this topic too deeply, in part because I'm no expert, but... I was thinking about all this quantum nonsense, you know, like quantum entanglement and whatnot. And I was wondering, wouldn't it be interesting if you could, with quantum entanglement, and this is impossible, you can't probably do this. This is not something that the physicists would say you could ever do. But imagine there was some way to transmit energy using quantum entanglement. Like, let's say you could take the energy of a nuclear explosion but transmit it via two entangled particles. And then all of a sudden, this nuclear explosion shows up someplace out of fucking nowhere. Where the fuck did this come from? Now, you could say that's teleportation, but here's the difference. I'm talking about an inchoate transmission of energy. With teleportation, you know, if it's the... if it's the kind that involves sending a person from A to B you have to have a kind of coherence. You can't just disintegrate somebody and then launch their disintegrated mass someplace. You have to be able to reintegrate. But the thing with what I'm proposing is no reintegration is required. You simply have to shove the effects of that explosion someplace else instantaneously. I know that that's impossible. You can't do that. But if if two universes were at war with each other, you know, if you had this multiverse and universe A and universe B knew of each other's existence and hated each other, then this type of bullshit seems like it would at least make sense for film purposes. Next topic. So I'm trying to askew YouTube. Like, I'm trying to just stay away from it completely, but I still go there once in a while to listen to songs. Not so much this week. And um, I was watching, you know, a YouTube video, and uh, this commercial came on. And this hipster-looking health food freak with a beard and an attitude, you know, basically had a bunch of bacon laying out on some um, paper towels. And he said... Look at all this. This is how much bacon is stuck in your ears right now. Now, of course, he was talking about earwax, but it looked like bacon. And that was pretty gross. Like, wow, people have that much bacon. I think for the purposes of the little commercial, they use bacon. And and yeah, well, you never said that. I said for for purposes, look at all this bacon. That's what you have in your fucking ears. 
about a, a lot of crispy bacon. Next topic, because I beat that one quickly. Um, one of the things that pops up these days, and I've kind of dealt with this over and over again, but I think I'll deal with one more time. One of the bargaining things people do is, well, it can't get any worse. And I get it. I understand it. If you're a mom and a dad and you have kids that are not of age, you want to be able to say to them, it's no big deal. It can't get any worse. And if you don't know already... If you, you shouldn't have kids listen to my podcast. I mean, a lot of other people won't necessarily say that. I'll tell you straight up. If you're under the age of 18 and you have parents, you should tell your parents before you listen to this podcast because I'm not going to tell you that it can't get any worse. Okay? Your mom or your dad might sit down next to you and say, well, you know, this is as bad as it's going to get. We've turned the corner. Look what they've said. If everyone gets vaccinated, if everyone gets vaccinated, in 10 years you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Um, I think that you know, it is a feature of human beings to be, for the most part, kind of inherently optimistic. You have to be, because times are hard, and human life, you know, and all the consciousness we have of it, we have we have awareness of the struggle, and at times you say to yourself, this is shit, this is terrible. So humans kind of have to believe, on some level, we need to believe, that it's, it's going to get better. And that statement in a sense, is true, okay? It can get worse, and it can get better. But in America, we tend to emphasize the, it can get better. We never consider the possibility that it can get worse. I think that's also a product of the learned helplessness public education thing. You know, this kind of false optimism. I'm not opposed to optimism. I think there have been times in my life, believe it or not, when I've been fueled by optimism. These are not the times, but I have been at times. Um, but it can get worse. I think that one of the reasons why these psyops have been so successful, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again, is that the powers that be have given people um, catastrophes to choose from. You could call them lesser catastrophes or lesser apocalypse. You've got your stagflation, you've got your depression, you got your World War III, you got your pandemic, you got your race war bullshit, and you've got your never-ending fear-mongering about climate change. You got tons of shit that they give you to be afraid of, and even if all of that is bullshit, it's easier to deal with than probably the truth. 
You see, the one thing I think that is missing from all these theories, especially the reset theories, is the truth. The truth is, they don't have the juice, they don't have the energy, they don't have the resources to do any of the crooked bullshit that they say they can do. The truth is, if there was a reset, it happened a long fucking time ago. You don't do the shit that these people have done worldwide since 2020 unless the reset already fucking happened. And if your definition of the reset is an amped up version of this with special effects, I go back to what I said before. They don't have the resources for it. They have culminated in the military sense. They have reached the point where they don't have the resources and yet they still haven't reached the objective. They have culminated before objective. This is really bad. And this is why they're focusing on fear. This is why they're focusing on invisible monkey herpes viruses. Because they know that they can scare the fuck out of you still. And they're doing it. But I think it's easier for people to grab onto the COVID. Because on one level, I think they know it's bullshit. And on another level, it seems like comprehensible human bullshit that is not going to end the world or end reality or do anything catastrophic. And what I'll tell you is as of today, the best case scenario for the human race, the best case scenario for the United States is going to be the collapse of the dollar empire. That is inevitable now. You can talk all you want to about how indestructible this thing is, but you have to ignore reality to believe that shit. Everything is destructible. Every empire falls apart. This crooked empire has been fueled by grifting my entire life, and I'm not a young person. So it's going to fall apart, and I think that that's what we're looking at right now, and that's best case scenario. So please, by all means, tell people it can't get any worse. But you're not helping them if it does. That's another thing to remember. If you tell people this is as bad as it will get, it can't get any worse, there are two things that are going to happen. Some of the people will know the truth and they will feel like they're being gaslit and they're just going to tell you to fuck off. That's one of the things that could happen. And there's more than a couple things that could happen. Another thing that could happen is you could be talking to the wrong fucking person on the wrong fucking day. And the very next thing they do with your COVID, fear-mongering, monkey herpes, kind of real race war garbage is they take it to their bathroom and they kill themselves. Yeah, there's a few different things that will happen when you decide to pick one of these fear monkeys and promote it. It's not really something that has no consequences. It has consequences. If you put a mask on and you walk down the street and kids see you wearing a mask, that has consequences. If you force masks on school-age kids at school, that has consequences. If you put masks on your own kids, and you should know better that they do nothing, you can check out the legal statements on the box itself that it was sold in. No lawyer is going to sue anybody over anything. If you do that, you know, fine, but there's going to be consequences. We have younger generations that have lived under a couple of years of some pretty wretched gaslighting. And... You know, best case scenario, I can imagine the thugs from Clockwork Orange. But I think it's going to be a lot worse than that, and I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat it. 
Last topic. This week, Pfizer made an announcement. They're going to have an anal COVID suppository. It's a COVID suppository style butt plug. Merck introduced the butter churner. Merck introduced the butter churner style, you know, anti-COVID dildo. Stryker Medical. Stryker Medical is introducing a brand new penile implant that shoots COVID vaccination goo into a woman's bluvula. Yes, indeed. Pfizer announces this week that they have an anal COVID suppository style butt plug. Merck has introduced the butter churner style anti-COVID dildos for female markets, something that conveniently fits in your handbag. Stryker Medical has a new penile implant. It shoots COVID vaccination goo right into a woman's bluvula. And this has been the Planetary Status Report on the run. We are currently being chased through Sectors 8 and 12. We currently have forces fighting the evil dreadnought forces of the Gronkus Lords and the Streblin Folk. We currently have special forces operating in the Sector of Regret. We're watching you, baby. We watch you every night, baby. We watch you when you take those showers. We watch you for several hours. It's time to board. It's time to board the spaceship. It's time to take the ride to Mars with Elon Musk. You can join the Hooker Republic of Mars if you want to. Before I go, I have one topic of discussion. Um, if you know from listening to my recent podcasts, and if you're a previous listener from other venues that have been destroyed or shut down, you know that my GoDaddy website account and all my resources, prepaid certificates, all that, in prepaid alone, hundreds of dollars in quote-unquote value, I can't really value it. Thousands of hours of work and effort. All of it was destroyed by GoDaddy being run by that piece of shit, 
Amon Bhutani a couple weeks ago. And listen, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. The fact is, this was probably just a cleanup job. They can't afford to keep that stupid company working. And for one night, I clogged up their entire tech support. I don't even see how that should be possible. I didn't use any special hacking technique. I didn't use any advanced thinkery. I simply was pissed off and annoyed at a shitty company that had treated a 10-year cu customer with zero respect. Yeah, fuck you, GoDaddy. Fuck you, you fucking thieves. If you work for GoDaddy, you work for a thieving company. If you're tech support for GoDaddy, you're just a dumbass piece of shit. And if I don't sound like I'm being diplomatic, it's because I had all my shit ripped off by your fucking company. But you should know that I'm not giving up on the podcasting, and if I have the resources, I will put the archive of podcasts out there somewhere. Right now, I have an archive of podcasts that is near 80 gigabytes. And that is hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasts. I wish there was a place I could park it. I did have one, you know, until what I just talked about, but I don't now. Part of it is money. Now, here's the deal. I promised my friend that I would that I would talk about donations, and I'm going to. But before I do, I need to point something out. If you've already donated to me at any time since I had the podcast on SoundCloud or YouTube, if you've ever donated to me even once, please do not donate again. I understand that some of the people listening to me are going to do it anyways, fine. If you want to. If you feel like you have the money, that's the second part of this. Money's tight right now. You know, you need money for food, water, shelter. You need money to protect your family. You don't really need money to pay for podcasts, okay? So if you don't have your food, water, shelter situation taken care of, you know, God bless for listening. And one thing you can always do if you like the show, and that's if you like the show, one thing you can always do is recommend it to friends. You can stick the link in an email, send it to your best friends, talk on the CB radio about the link. It's not a very complicated link. Anchor.fm slash Daniel dash John dash Sullivan. And, and it also, there's also a Spotify link that links from there. But the idea is that you can do that and that doesn't cost any money. And that, that's something that's very helpful. So before I continue and, and do the whole begging for money shit, I need you to understand that you need to take care of certain things in your life long before you ever pay for a podcast. But if you've taken care of your food, water, shelter, if you have at least six months of food on hand for your family, if you have a family, and at least six months for yourself, if you have purchased real books on first aid, on foraging, on gardening, I mean real books printed on paper, the ones that don't require electricity, if you've taken care of the things you can rationally take care of knowing that we have no clue what's coming next. That despite all the bullshit coming from the system, you don't know and I don't know. The only thing I'm certain of is we're being fucking lied to. But beyond that, we don't know why they're lying. We can have theories. If you've taken care of the things you need, if you've taken care of the people you love, and you still have a few bucks left over, there's a donation link in the podcast for PayPal. It is the only option I have left. It is drfreckles at paypal.com, but the link is in the podcast notes on Anger or Spotify. There's also the same link 
on the header notes for the channel on Anchor and Spotify. If you have the money, I would appreciate the donation, but it's up to you. How much you give is also up to you. Okay. Prior to 2020, my podcast was on a path to making, within a few months, between $1,500 and $2,000 a month. And believe it or not, at $1,500 to $2,000 a month, I could get by. I didn't have a lot of bills. I didn't have a very complicated budget. Prior to 2020, that's what I was looking at. And I was, you know, I won't say super optimistic, but I was optimistic enough to start writing projects again. Um, until the monkey herpes showed up. And then when it did, donations more or less, you know, they slowed down. I have a few people, really, really generous people, that consistently donate. And I'll say, don't do it again, but they're so generous that when they have the money, maybe they feel sorry for me. Maybe they really do enjoy the show. But when they have the resources, they help. Here's the bottom line. In order to fix what GoDaddy did, I have, I have to raise a lot of money. But I also don't know if it's fucking worth it. Like, if you donated money to me right now, I don't know if I would... If you donated a lot of money, I mean, a little bit of money is just enough to get by. But if you actually... If someone out there donated a ton of money, I would try to, yeah, get the website up and running again. I would try to get some type of an archive out there so people could listen to all of the podcasts. And I would try to restore much, if not most, if not all, of what GoDaddy destroyed. Um, but I also don't know if I wouldn't just use it for food, water, and shelter. Um, I, I think that at this point, that's what you need to know. And when I say food, water, shelter, you can include the dread marijuana, and you can include beer. Um, I'm not proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it. But if you want to really deconstruct that a little bit, you can include weed and beer. And food, water, shelter, weed and beer are about the only things right now that I have any interest in investing in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pick up some camping gear once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some water purification. Yes, yes, yes. I think I have a couple months of food set aside. Not necessarily super tasty food, but not super unhealthy. A lot of dried beans, a lot of dried rice, and some other things to help with the squirrel, you know, when you kill it. I've done a few bare minimum things to focus on surviving what's coming, but again, I, I think back to what I came to the conclusion about in 2015. Best case scenario, once things really start getting exciting, and I'm sorry we're not there yet. Best case scenario, I don't think my odds are that great. They're not terrible. I think being here in Utah increases my odds. I think being around my friend here in Utah and his girlfriend and their family increases my odds. They're good people, you know. Being around good people you can trust is worth more than gold. Is worth more than silver. That's another thing to remember. It's worth more than money. Simply put, if you've taken care of the things you need to take care of and you have the resources to donate, please do. Okay? I'll take the donation. I'll read you the link. If you're, if you're only able to listen to this, I'll read you the link. Um, let's see if I can pull it up really quick here. Oh, life. I will read you the link, and the link is paypal.com slash paypal me. Um, hold on a second. 
something weird just happened there. That was really weird. Actually, that was weird. I'm going to talk about that in a second, potentially, but that was so weird. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, okay. So um, the link is paypal.com, paypal.me, you know, paypal.com slash paypal.me slash Dr. Freckles. The same link is in the notes. The same link is in the header. But if you need to hear it, there's it. If you have the money, please donate. If you don't, that's okay. If you like the show, please recommend it to others because I'm heavily shadow banned. I even get my emails crunched. So, um, you know, I can use all the help I can if you like the show about getting the word out. But beyond that, have a great Thursday. You know, it's Thursday. You made it almost to the end of the work week. The end of the work week is tomorrow. Sure, you might have to get the vaccination tomorrow when you show up for work, but you know what you can do? Yeah. I'm going to leave that up to you. Have a great Thursday.